for Teacher by Mother of Bulls. Chapter 10 Two men looked at each other with disdain and confusion. Ron narrowed his eyes and cocked his head, slightly slack-jawed at the presence of the Rond man. In that moment, Hermione entered the foyer. That should do it for a bit. Ron! Susan! Hey, Hermione. Ron's eyes travelled to the couch and settled on Draco. Someone care to tell me what Malfoy is do? He's here for Hermione. Let me take your coats, Jitter responded with ease. It was from that her Albus inherited his absolute refusal to acknowledge awkwardness in social situations. Ron and Susan seated themselves on a love seat, directly apart from Hermione and Draco. Draco found his courage and put an arm around Hermione, pulling her closer to him on the couch. Marvel of masculinity, Draco. Marvel of fucking masculinity. So, I didn't know the two of you, Ron motioned between Hermione and Draco. It's new. Hermione responded quickly, tucking herself into her wine glass. Harry rolled his eyes. Let's get this over with. Ron, you don't like Malfoy. Malfoy, you don't like Ron. And yet, here you both are, seated in my home, drinking my booze. And Draco and Hermione are keeping it discreet. He turned to face Malfoy, who gave him a thumbs up. Because she teaches his son, and his son's got a bit fat boner for her. Draco and Hermione both made a face, ignored by Harry, who turned to Draco. Yes, Ron and Hermione dated for about two months, like 15 years ago, but we all barely remember that because it was just the most uncomfortable thing we've ever had to witness in our lives. Thanks, Harry, Hermione said, rolling her eyes. No, I mean, like, you guys had no chemistry. Like, none. It was painful to watch. Yeah, I know. I was there too. Thanks, Hermione cut him off. The point Harry is so flippantly trying to make is that the war is long over and there's no reason we can't all get along. Ginny took her seat. Let's talk about something more interesting. Isn't it just so interesting that Hermione and Draco are seeing each other? Hermione shook her head, fighting the urge to bury her face in her hands. Draco shifted slightly next to her and smoothed a soothing finger delicately on her shoulder, causing her to make brief eye contact with him. He grinned at her pretty blush. Merlin, he could really get used to making her do that. And she looked completely edible tonight, wearing a red, silky blouse that complemented her skin tone and a pair of cropped black cigarette trousers which hugged her figure beautifully. And she smelled so good. He could make out notes of bergamot and gardenia in the perfume, which was having a rather stirring effect on his body. Thank Merlin that bloody portrait shut the hell up. Yeah, how'd that happen, by the way? No offence, Malfoy, but you've always been a prick, and if you have any redeeming qualities, I've never been made aware of them, Ron inquired. And Draco frowned. How exactly am I supposed to not take offence to that? Hermione interjected. You know Draco's son is at Hogwarts too. Well, he had a slight incident with him and Draco came to the school. Hitting on your son's teacher. <sighs> Malfoy, that is some classy shit right there. Ron grinned into his wine glass. Draco longed to throw a quip back at him, or maybe just a punch. But for Hermione's sake, he bit his tongue and was privately extremely grateful to Susan, who nudged Ron in the ribs. Susan's grimace and his muttering of owl woman under his breath was less than inconspicuous. Of course we know of Scorpius. He's a lovely boy. I always kind of thought our Rose had a bit of a crush on him, Susan offered politely. Draco nodded. I've got a feeling it goes both ways.
What kind of incident, then? Ron spoke up, having recovered. Ginny snorted. Scorpius is quite the ladies' man, right, Hermione? Hermione rolled her eyes. Didn't I say something about wanting to forget the whole thing? And Draco smirked and gave her shoulders a squeeze, prompting another adorable blush from the witch. Draco smiled. My son wrote Hermione a very forward letter. Apparently he had been harbouring a crush on her for some time. Ron scoffed. Merlin, he doesn't waste any time, does he? Turning to Susan, he added, You said Rose fancied him. We really shouldn't encourage that. Draco rolled his eyes. Ron turned back to Draco. So then you swoop in on Hermione when your kid strikes out. Hermione bit back. He did not swoop. There was no swooping involved. And can we please talk about something else? Ginny adopted a very serious face. Her accent became sharper and posher. Of course. Shall we discuss the weather? Or perhaps we all go round in a circle and give an account of our day. Harry, darling, why don't you start? Harry replied with false brightness and an equally false aristocratic accent. Well, darling, I was called into the office today because there was some sort of ghastly explosion of a potions warehouse in Bristol. The auras were all in quite a state over it, bless them. Turns out the entire thing was rather frightful mix-up. The old chap who owns the building set off a Weasley Wizard Wheezes alarm, which turns out he had a rather combustive effect when it comes into contact with a large amount of doxy venom. So I spent my day doing large amounts of paperwork while the real auras got in on the actions, such as it was. Smashing day, don't you think? Harry took a snobbish sip of his wine. Draco listened to the entire thing with a look of incredulity. That's the sort of thing you have to deal with at your job. I figured you'd be hunting down dark wizards and carrying on the sort of heroic antics you got up to at school. Harry shrugged. <laughs> what can I say? I peaked in high school. Ginny, this is delicious, Hermione complimented the food. It's better even than creatures, I think. Yeah, he gave me his recipe just before, you know, the end. Creature, he's that odd old house elf you used to have here, right? Draco inquired. I'm sorry to hear that he died. He was, well, I suppose he was rather nice to me when I met him. Harry shook his head. He didn't die. We donated him to Hogwarts. Manny's fork dropped. How many times? Oh, balls, Ginny said under her breath. Must I tell you, Harry James Potter? Bringing out the middle name now. She's in a right huff, John whispered to his sister. You cannot donate house elves. Draco stared at his plate. This really is lovely, Ginny. Did you use some sort of garlic rub? Harry raised his hands in faux surrender. Again, what else would you call it? We didn't need him, Hogwarts did. So he redistributed his talents? Why'd you have to be such up my arse about this tonight? Ginny nodded. Yes, it um goes very well with the wine you bought, which is excellent, by the way. You never even tried to pay him wages, Harry. You just treated him like he was property. Susan nodded. Are those notes of cherry by chance? Hermione, that old tosser was at least as old as Dumbledore. I couldn't have even ordered him to take wages from me. Draco tentatively turned to Ginny. I take it this is a topic of 
contention with the two of them. He is a person, Harry! Ginny nodded. He might have been nice to you, but he was a right old prick to the rest of us. Harry's still a bit sore over it. A person? Hermione, he is quite literally not. Ron whispered across the table. He was bloody awful to Hermione, and yet she still goes on about her spew nonsense. Excuse me, Ronald! Oh, balls, Harry muttered. I only meant, Hermione, that Creature was a creepy old git who sold us out to Death Eaters, and all you could care about are his bloody employee rights, Ron said. Harry came to Ron's defence. Think about it, Hermione. Malfoy probably had loads of house cells at the manor, and I bet he doesn't pay them. Do you, Malfoy? And Draco nearly choked on his food at the mention of his name. I, um, I do have a few house elves working for me, but he saw Hermione take a sip of her wine, obviously uncomfortable. Um, I mean, of course I pay them. Hermione beamed at him. You do? And Draco gulped. In truth, no, he didn't pay his house elves. But this was only because the house elves at the manor had been there since he was a little boy. They ran the place seamlessly, and he rarely ever saw them. As far as house elves go, the ones at the manor were rather snobbish and stuck in their ways. And they would probably murder him in his sleep if he attempted to pay them wages. Of course, they'd stick their heads in the oven after, but all the same. Of course. And Draco took a particularly large sip of wine. Hermione's lips curled up into a lovely smile, and she put her hand on his knee. I had no idea. Draco, that's so lovely of you. And Draco couldn't fight the smile on his lips. Here was this beautiful woman looking at him as though he were the most wonderful person in the world, and putting her hand on his knee and blushing so sweetly at him. Marvel of fucking masculinity I am. He would speak to his house elves as soon as he got home. At least there could be a discussion. But for now he simply waved off her praise and took her hand that was on his knee in his own, and rubbed his thumb across the knuckles. Ron watched the two, rolling his eyes. Wow, Malfoy, I had no idea you were a spew advocate. Ginny, Harry and Susan all grimaced in anticipation. For the last time, Ronald, it's not spew, it's S-P-E-W. Yeah, sure, that's what I said. So anyway, Malfoy, back to the house elves thing. The other three adults, who were not besotted with Draco, cringed. Hey, Ron, Harry interrupted. Don't you think we've said quite enough on the subject of his night? I'm sure Malfoy would rather not discuss his employees while he's on a date. Draco shot a subtle, grateful look at Harry, furrowing his eyebrows in confusion. Harry just shrugged and rolled his eyes. The rest of dinner went much more smoothly, other than having to push down the twinge of guilt he felt for the teensy white lie. He'd fix that right away, he told, and Draco had gathered a rather enjoyable evening. Susan managed to keep Ron in line. It was blatantly obvious who wore the pants in that relationship, and the food was rather excellent. But best of all were the moments when Hermione would make fleeting eye contact with him, looking away immediately and blushing when she caught her. He wasn't sure if the blush was from him or the wine, but either way he had a difficult time keeping his eyes off her. He looked longingly at her mouth, wishing that he could have another moment with her alone. He had almost kissed her earlier when that revolting portrait ruined the moment, he remembered the way her hair felt on his fingertips as he lightly cradled her neck, and the way her perfume seemed to invade every pore on his body. He wondered what her body would feel like against him, 
soft, willing, and... You vile son of an ancient line! You have been corrupted by your filthy, putrid, mudblood whore, and your disgusting fantasies of having her in your bed! Draco paled. He could have fucking died right there. Right there in Harry Potter's dining room. So this is it then. My life is over. I guess it was alright, except I would have liked to have gotten laid for one last time. Thank you very much for pointing that out, you insufferable old cow. Hermione darted out of her chair. Silencing charm must have worn off. I'll get that Harry, don't bother. The four remaining adults, who weren't mortally humiliated, had tears in their eyes from biting back the laughter they so desperately wanted to release. Don't. Just don't, Draco pleaded. <laughs> Ginny couldn't hold it in any longer. Merlin's a bullsack, Malfoy. I'm aware, Draco retorted. I mean, you really are as bad as your 13-year-old. Ginny still hadn't ceased laughing. What are the odds you'll agree to let me obliviate you? Slim to absolutely fucking lutely never, because that shit is hilarious, she responded. Hermione emerged from the foyer, blushing furiously and taking care not to make much eye contact with Draco. Ginny, let me do the washing up. Susan opened her mouth to offer to help as well, but Draco spoke up first. I'll help you. He pointedly ignored the impish sneers and slight laughter directed at him. The two stood in the kitchen, pointing their wands to clear the table. Draco spoke first. I don't suppose there's ever a scenario where I can just be cool and suave around you. Hermione laughed. I don't think that's who we are. Draco chuckled warmly. I don't suppose it is. They worked in silence for a minute or two, casting scourgified charms on the dishes and levitating them into a neat stack. Hermione turned to him with a coy look in her eye. Although I must say it was rather quick thinking on your part to make up that thing about paying your house elves. And Draco's eyes shot up into his hairline. You... How? Hermione rolled her eyes. If it were really true, you would have owned it with confidence. You are a Slytherin after all. She smirked at him. Draco chuckled. Chapter 11 And Draco bit his lip and huffed in frustration. He was usually a master at negotiations, but all the Slytherin cunning in the world couldn't hold up against the wall of communication that were house elves. And people he could deal with in his sleep. People were hopelessly easy, falling easily for flattery or cool charisma. But house elves tended to talk in circles, and his own were no exception. I'm just asking if you would consider it, Quincy, and I'm certainly not asking you to leave. I'm simply asking if it would be possible for you to allow me to give you a bit of money every week, and perhaps something halfway decent to wear. Master Draco tries to free us. We is being loyal and hard-working for Master Draco, and he is wanting to send us away. The elderly house elf seemed torn between indignation and hurt. That's not it at all. I want you to keep doing exactly what you're doing. I want you to continue to live here and work here. Absolutely nothing will change. I only want to give you money for your work. Master Draco is trying to give us clothes. Master Draco is trying to free us. Forget the clothes, then. If you're happy with your pillowcases, then that's all right with me. You can even buy new pillowcases. Better pillowcases. With the money that I will pay you. 
Master Draco already gives us everything we requires. We is not needing any monies. Why is Master Draco us wanting us to go away? Draco put his hands behind his head, closed his eyes, and breathed deeply to collect his calm. Quincy, I don't want to send you away. I want you to stay here and do nothing differently except allow me to give you a small amount of money every week. I'm asking you as a favour to you, but I could very well order you to take it, which is absolutely daft, because who in their right mind would have to be ordered to take wages? Master Draco says we will not be free elves, but Master Draco talks of wages. Only free elves are paid wages. Quincy curls his lip in disgust at the thought. I don't give a bloody fuck what you call it, Quincy. Draco was truly exasperated now. Call it a gift, all right? Every week I will give you a gift. Nothing will change. All right? Quincy exhaled deeply. The other elves will not be pleased with Quincy. Quincy will tell them Master Draco orders us to take his gift of monies. Draco nodded his head and held his palms together in a gesture of appreciation. Thank you, Quincy. Draco left the servant hall, feeling drained of all energy. He leaned against the door and banged his head against the wood. Some women liked flowers, some liked jewellery. Draco had to go and become smitten with the one who would rather you make your house elves miserable by shoving money down their throats. The things I do to impress a girl. Draco grinned as he recalled his conversation with Hermione in front of the flu last night. Potter conceded to grant them some privacy as they said their good nights. So, the Gryffindor-Slytherin game is tomorrow, Draco said. Is it? I can never seem to remember when these things come up. I'm going. Are you? I never miss it. Perhaps I'll see you there too. Hermione bit her lip. Isn't that a bit... public? I paid for the uniforms. It's normal for me to show up to the games. Draco smirked mischievously. How about this? A friendly wager. If Gryffindor wins, I'll buy you dinner after the game. If Slytherin wins, you allow me to buy you dinner as a gesture of interhouse unity and good sportsmanship. How does that sound, Professor Granger? Hermione tucked a bit of hair behind her ear and blushed. I suppose that's agreeable. Draco smiled. I'll see you there then. He bent down and kissed her lightly on the lips, using every bit of restraint he possessed to keep himself from turning into a full snog. Reluctantly, he broke the kiss, allowing his thumb to graze her cheekbone. Good night, Hermione. Draco sighed, thinking about the kiss they had shared last night, particularly the one in the kitchen, which had been absolutely sensational. He had fallen asleep last night with her taste still on his tongue, and woken this morning with his cock standing to attention after a night of dreaming about how her skin felt beneath his fingertips. His hormones hadn't been this out of control since he was a boy. He felt positively giddy when he would see her today. Merlin, if teenage me could see this. Giddy over Hermione Granger. Hermione rummaged through the Quidditch section in the library, desperate to find something that would help her. Biographies, tactics, surely there must be a book that just explains the basics, Hermione growled in frustration. To say that she had never been a Quidditch fan would be an understatement. Whenever Ron, Harry and Ginny would go on and on about this team and that broom, her eyes would glaze over. She was, in every other respect, a model student, always hungry for new information and eager to learn, except in this one thing. Quidditch bored the pants off of her. But Draco liked Quidditch. What if he wanted to talk to her about the game? She needed to be able to say something about it. 
wasn't there some sort of manual, like a Quidditch for dummies or something she could read? She should ask Madame Pince, as much as she terrified her. Madame Pince was often compared to a vulture, but in Hermione's opinion, that really only covered half of it. Sure, Madame Pince was dangerously protective of the books, to a degree even Hermione found excessive. She was even more of a stickler that her previous library had been absolutely deathly silent at all times. In this respect, yes, she was a vulture. But should someone actually need something in the library, something they couldn't find on their own, perhaps, Madame Pince was as useless as a panda bear during mating season. She'd lounge on her chair, her eyes never leaving the book she was reading. She wasn't really a librarian. She was really more of a caretaker of the physical space of the library with the books within. Hermione approached her desk and coughed to get her attention. Nothing. Hermione spoke up. Madame Pince, excuse me, I was wondering if you might help me. Nothing. Maybe she was asleep. Madame Pince? She shuffled from her book, looking up and fixing Hermione with a deadly glare. What? Hermione gulped. I was wondering if there are any rudimentary books on Quidditch in the library. Madame Pince's lips disappeared into a thin line. You know where the Quidditch section is, don't you? Let me check yourself. Her uselessness was starting to annoy Hermione, who held herself up indignantly and said, I did check, but I didn't find anything basic enough for my purposes. I'm looking for a simple introduction to the sport. Madame Pince narrowed her eyes and quirked her lips into a dangerous smirk. Hermione was reminded of the witch from Hansel and Gretel, and this was what she always looked like in her mind. Follow me! She stated with a false brightness, and she led Hermione past the restricted section to a corner of the library she had no idea existed. Children's section, she asked, quirking an eyebrow at the mean old witch. Seriously? Madame Pince sneered with that unholy smirk once again plastered on her face. Hermione had come to rather appreciate the expression when Draco wore it so handsomely on his own face. Madame Pince, on the other hand, looked positively grotesque. She slithered over to the bottom shelf and pulled out a thin, glossy, colourful book and handed it to Hermione. It was a Quidditch colouring book for children aged four to seven. Perhaps this is more up your alley, Professor Granger. Hermione's brow furrowed. Oh, she's a bitch. She wouldn't be embarrassed. And that's what the Wicked Witch wanted. Thank you ever so much, Madame Pince. I greatly appreciate your help. Hermione flipped to the pages of the book. If she was being serious, it was actually more of a toy than a book. I can learn from this, she thought. Chapter 12 Professor Granger! It is a rare treat indeed to see you in the stands. Professor Slughorn greeted Hermione enthusiastically. I felt I should show more support to my house. After all, we are playing Slytherin. Hermione grinned as she joined Professor Slughorn and Neville Longbottom, who had long since taken up the post as Professor of Herbology and was currently head of Gryffindor House. Thought you hated Quidditch, Hermione? Neville inquired. I don't hate Quidditch. I just don't find it particularly stimulating, but I am a professor now, and a Gryffindor alumna. It doesn't hurt to show some school spirit every now and then. Professor Slughorn agreed. Indeed it does not, my dear, and may the best team win, which of course will be Slytherin. Neville rolled his eyes. 
Horace, you don't really want to engage in a battle of trash talk with a Gryffindor. Professor Slughorn chuckled. The house rivalry aside, Slytherin is a fine team this year. Best seeker since Draco Malfoy. Hermione felt her ears turn pink at the mention of Draco. Where was he, by the way? She looked around the box and was surprised to see, in addition to many Hogwarts faculty, there were many donors who had come to show their support for one of the two rival teams. Unfortunately, none of them were Draco. Looking for someone, Hermione, Neville asked. Hermione quickly turned her head to face Neville. Not at all. I just never realised how many donors came to see the games. Professor Slughorn nodded his head. There's no game that draws quite so much donor support as the gryffindor Slytherin match. Unless, of course, the two happen to be playing in the final. And speaking of Slytherin support, Mr Malfoy, how wonderful to see you here. Hermione turned quickly to find the handsome blonde ex-Slytherin grinning up as he took Professor Slughorn's hand to shake it. She had to pinch herself to keep from staring at him. She had never seen him look so casual. Rather than his usual robes, he wore a pair of dark denims and a hunter green button-down with the sleeves slightly rolled up. His white blonde hair was so sexily dishevelled, Hermione couldn't help but fantasise about running her hands through that perfect head of hair. Despite the muggle attire, he was the most Slytherin-looking thing Hermione had ever laid eyes on. Needless to say, she wished they could skip the game, so she could take him back to her dorm and ride him until neither of them could see straight. Professor Longbottom, Draco addressed Neville with cordial formality, despite the fact that he was a ruthless bully towards him at school. Malfoy? Neville didn't seem too keen on speaking with Draco at any length, considering that this was the man who used to hex his shoelaces together when they were eleven. Draco turned to Hermione. Professor Granger, wonderful to see you again. Other than the corner of his lips quirking upwards slightly at the addressing of Hermione, his face remained the epitome of Slytherin composure and etiquette. However, Hermione was not so cool. She couldn't fight the flush on her cheeks upon being greeted by the delicious man. Mr Malfoy, why don't you join us? Draco ignored the slight grimace on Neville's face at Hermione's request and accepted graciously. I'd be delighted. He sat on Hermione's other side, away from Neville. As he brushed by, she could smell the clean heat of his cologne, thereby adding to the ever-growing whopper of a list of things about the man she seemed to leave an impression on her knickers. He sat close enough to where she felt her self-consciousness of every breath she took. Surely he could hear her heart pounding in her chest. Draco bit the inside of his jaw to keep from groaning at how much he wanted to kiss Hermione. She was so beautiful with her snug-fitted crimson jumper that hugged those curves in the most brilliant way, just enough to tease. As he sat next to her, he attempted to adjust his trousers. He couldn't help but catch a whiff of her erection-inducing perfume as he tucked into the seat next to her. Her skin looked so smooth, it seemed to be begging for him to stroke it. Why did he think it would be a good idea for them to go to a Quidditch game at Hogwarts together? This was their third date, and he bloody well wanted to snog. He settled for leaning in just enough to whisper so only she could hear. Be prepared to endure my quips later. After Slytherin beats Gryffindor into the ground, I'll be absolutely impossible. A small grin fluttered across her face. You've always been impossible, and when Gryffindor wins, I'll be certain to return the favour. Draco bit his lip to push down the smirk which treacherously fought to play at his lips. 
His voice was a husky whisper. I can't wait. He dropped his hand to the side and brushed her hand with his knuckles, sending shockwaves through his body at the minor physical contact. Hermione was fairly certain she would not live through this game. Draco Malfoy's sexy voice and his hand touching hers would surely melt her into a puddle right there in the stands like the Wicked Witch of the West. When he ran his knuckles across her hand, she felt a jolt of electricity-like sensations crawling up her spine and down her abdomen. Get. It. Together. All he did was touch your hand and you damn near had an orgasm. Neville glanced out of the corner of his eye to find both Hermione and Draco wearing similar pained expressions on their flushed faces, their eyes glassy and pupils blown wide. He briefly wondered if they had been hexed, until he saw Malfoy run the back of his hand against Hermione's. His eyes widened slightly, and he shook himself. Maybe he had been hexed, because there was no way he had really seen that. He chanced another glance and saw that the pair were sitting with their thighs touching. Both seemed to be breathing slightly heavier than normal. Neville rolled his eyes at the two fully grown hormonal adults, each trying and failing to hide their obvious interest in the other. He chuckled lightly. Something funny, Neville? Professor Slughorn asked. Neville shook his head and addressed his colleague and fellow house head. I was just thinking, Horace. We teach teenage for a living. I wonder if it's possible for us to ever really grow up. Scorpius sat in the stands between Albus and Simon, wearing a slight scowl. He didn't really like Quidditch, but he'd be flayed by his housemates if he didn't go to the Gryffindor-Slytherin game. It was so stupid. Quidditch. Just another way for Gryffindors and Slytherins to bully each other. And the Gryffindors were total prats about all the famous witches and wizards who they had in their house. Like that Rose Weasley, always prancing about the castle with her nose in the air because her father was a bloody war hero. What made her so special? Albus's dad was Harry Potter, and he didn't go around bragging about it. He remembered how earlier this year, when she'd made Chaser on the Gryffindor Quidditch team, she was absolutely unbearable, going on and on about how her aunt Ginny was one of the best chasers the Hollyhead Harpies had ever had. It's like, yeah, I know. Again, that's Albus's mum. Stupid Rose Weasley and her stupid red hair always raising her hand in class, answering every damned question the professors throw at her. And don't even get him started on Albus's brother, James Potter, the Gryffindor King. In Scorpius's opinion, he was the worst bully in the entire school. He never missed an opportunity to pick on Slytherins. What made the Gryffindor so great, anyway? All right there, mate. Albus turned to his scowling friend. Scorpius shook his head. Just don't want to be here. What does your dad say about you not liking Quidditch? Albus asked. Nothing really. He doesn't seem to care much. He told me to fly and I like that just fine, but Quidditch is so bloody boring. Albus's eyes shot up into his hairline. You're lucky. My dad was a right tosser when I told him I didn't like Quidditch. Bought me a Fireball 3000 for my birthday this year. I haven't even taken it out of the box yet. Simon and Scorpius looked at him with twin expressions of incredulity. Simon spoke up. Mate, if you don't want the thing, give it to me. I'll fucking ride it. Scorpius interjected. Yeah, or me. I'm his best friend. Simon rolled his eyes. The both of you have had rich daddies. I'm a bloody peasant. You can at least throw me your scraps. Albus spoke evenly with an unblinking expression. 
I'm contemplating using it to clean my room. It has excellent fibre distribution for picking up dust. Simon shook his head. Albus, has anyone ever told you you're the fucking weirdest person on Merlin's Green Earth? Albus nodded. Many times. And here comes the Gryffindor team with their new chaser, Rose Weasley. Sure to be a promising new talent for Gryffindor. That girl's got Quidditch in her blood, ladies and gentlemen. Scorpius rolled his eyes and brought his omnoculars to his face. He'd bet anything that pretty little chit looking smug as hell right now. Not that he wanted to watch her or anything. But I mean, come on. Scorpius scanned the air for the Gryffindor team, wearing identical, unmistakably self-important sneers. So bloody typical. He also saw... Wait, what the fuck? Scorpius brought the omnioculars from his face. Albus and Simon shifted their attention to him. He looked like he'd been hit with the body-binding curse. His eyes were widening. He had ceased blinking and he was slightly slack-jawed. Albus nudged him. Mate, we all know you're secretly in love with Rosenall, but there's no fucking way she looks good in Gryffindor Quidditch robes. I mean, the red hair alone. No, you get. Look, over at the faculty and donor stands. And what do you see? Scorpius handed him the omnioculars. Albus scanned the stands. Well, let's see. There's Sluggy. He's fucking drunk as per usual. There's Professor Longbottom with his manly eyebrows. God, I wish I had... Um, and there's... Oh, is that your dad? Sitting with Professor Granger. My, 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 that is interesting. Simon clamoured to take hold of the omnioculars. Let me see. Hand him here, Albus. He brought the device to his face and Scorpius turned as white as a sheet as Simon's face broke into a slow, wide grin. Still want to tell us your dad isn't shagging Professor Granger? Scorpius shook his head in disbelief. He can't be. There's no way. And there wasn't much conviction behind his postulation. He was mainly trying to convince himself. Simon smirked. Right. And that's why he keeps smiling at her. And just look at that blush on Professor Granger. Oh, they've definitely fucked. Albus put a hand on Scorpius's shoulder. Look on the bright side, Scorp. They're not shagging right this very second. Scorpius turned to Albus with a very Malfoy-looking skull on his face. How exactly is that supposed to make me feel better? Albus shrugged. I didn't say it would make you feel better, I just said it was the bright side. Simon continued to observe the couple. Oh, Merlin. He's tucking her hair behind her ear, and now he's whispering something into her ear. Scorpius, you lucky bastard. You're going to have a very yummy new mummy. Scorpius punched Simon in the arm. Shut it, you prat. They're not shagging. Albus narrowed his eyes and cocked his head sideways. Exactly. They're watching a friendly game of Quidditch together. This is part of the not shagging. Scorpius quirked an eyebrow. What do you mean by that? Albus rolled his eyes. Merlin, you're shite with girls, aren't you? I guess I shouldn't be surprised with that letter you sent to Professor Granger. You can't just jump in and shag a girl. You've got to woo them. Ease into it. The not shagging is what you do with the girls first so you can get to the shagging part. Your dad is a fucking artist at that by the looks of it. The casual touching, the whispers in her ear. It looks like he's making her laugh a lot too. Scorpius narrowed his eyes. So does that mean... Albus nodded. After the game, he's going to shag her brains out. Simon quirked an eyebrow at Albus. 
How do you know this stuff about girls, Al? The girls don't like you at all. Albus nodded absentmindedly. I read a lot of erotica. My mum keeps loads of smutty books all over the house. I can tell you in great detail how to make a thirty-year-old woman come, but only in theory. In reality, I think I would faint if I ever saw a girl's bra strap. Scorpius had long stopped following the conversation. He couldn't get Albus's words out of his head. After the game, he's going to shag her brains out. He was going to be sick. He was going to call Ralph right there in the Quidditch dance, right over the fifth-year Slytherin girls. It was going to be humiliating, and afterwards their boyfriends would beat the living shit out of him, but he was going to do it. He couldn't believe his dad. It was inconceivable that his father, the person he looked up to more than anyone else in the world, was going to steal the woman of his son's dreams. He couldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe it. Not until he saw it with his own eyes. Thank you.